Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hey there, welcome to episode 59 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about extended massive orgasm how to achieve it, what can you do to improve your connection with your body and becoming a better lover. Our guest is Dr. Steve Bodansky. Dr. Bodansky, together with his wife, Dr. Vera Bodansky, have been teachers of sensuality for the past 35 years. They met in 1980 and were married in 1983. Steve received a master's in molecular biology at Sony at Albany in 1979 and a doctorate at Moore University in sensuality in 1992 with an emphasis on female orgasm. He first studied and then taught at Moore University through 1992. Vera started doing one-hour orgasms demonstrations in 1980 and also received her doctorate in sensual studies in 1992. Steve became certified to do these demonstrations in 1987. They developed another orgasm school in 1992 after leaving Morehouse called the Welcome Consensus where they taught for five years and certified five new students in becoming teachers and demonstrators of orgasm. For the past 22 years, they have been coaching students as a couple and started writing books about optimum sensual pleasure. They have trained many people over the past 30 years with courses and personal training 
and continue to do so. A number of their former students have become central facilitators themselves. I'll leave the information and his email address and also their website in the show notes so you guys are able to check out his books, their books actually, because he co-authored many of them with his wife. And before we go to the, to the interview, I just want you guys to remind you, so if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I really, really appreciate if you write us an honest review in Apple Podcasts. It helps us to reach a broader audience. All right, here's my conversation with Dr. Steve Budansky. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I mentioned during the introduction, I'm honored and excited to have Dr. Steve Budansky on our show today. Steve, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for accepting our invitation. I was just reading the, your bio and the, the beginning of the interview and I was just like impressed with all this wealth of great information and knowledge and experience you have around sexuality and pleasure. So it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, I've been doing this for a couple of years, I guess. <laughs> Sounds like a few decades. And I just, I, I learned about you through your books, but I didn't know about this wonderful workshops that you guys had. Uh, I saw that your wife, Dr. Uh, Vera Budansky also, she had this orgasmic demonstration. I'm just curious, how, how were those demonstrations? Who were the audience? Just, um, you know, regular, the one top 1%. No, just regular people. Whoever wants, you know, wants to know about pleasure and, and extended massive pleasure, they look us up and they find us. But we don't do classes anymore, but we do have a video of a one-hour demonstration, and we do private sessions mostly. My wife has Alzheimer's now, and um, so she doesn't participate too often, but, but she still gets off really good, and actually being trained in orgasm has made made this um, part of her life like extremely, actually beautiful and better than it would be if she hadn't had that. And I'm learning to love more, and it's actually increased our love for each other. That's so wonderful. I, and you mentioned that during the email exchange that I had, and it's interesting that how you were talking about the memory around pleasure hasn't changed, if, given that like some part of the other cognitive challenges are there. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, she may not know my name, but she definitely likes my touch. <laughs> that's wonderful. I think that's all that matters. Yeah, so um, yeah, students come from all over the world. They a lot of people read our books, and they want to, you know, they, they want to come see us. And we don't work too. Hard. It's mostly me now. I, I don't work that hard, but I'm still writing and still reading and still improving. Well, wow, it's it's interesting after decades of like teaching this material and providing like all this kind of sex education. You're talking about learning. It shows like how much is out there and how kind and humble you are <laughs> to say that. Yeah, thank you. So I was kind of curious to learn. So because I know many of your, you and your wife's writing is about orgasm and pleasure. So let us start with talking about what are examples of different types of orgasms and how, how are they different between men and women? Okay. Well, first is I think all female orgasm is clitorally based. I know there's, there's arguments about you know vaginal orgasms or clitoral orgasms. But I think 
our expertise is ma manual stimulation of a woman's genitals. And the whole thing is, the whole area is actually connected. And the difference between an extended massive orgasm and a regular orgasm is kind of like the difference between the Wright brothers, you know, and a space shuttle. Right. And, <laughs> you know, the Wright brothers, they can go up for a few seconds and so the trip is over. The space shuttle can go around and around and around and keep on going. And pretty and a lot higher than the Wright brothers could go. That's so cool. How can we get to the space shuttle? <laughs> I bet that would be the that's the question of many of our listeners why now. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's enjoying each stroke one at a time. It's not trying to, you know, get on the shuttle right away. It's enjoying the ride. Enjoying the liftoff, enjoy, enjoying everything about it and approving of it. And also, one big key is to relax your body instead of like tensing up. Because when you tense up, you tend to have what we call a the regular kind of orgasm where you, you kind of tense up and you tense up and you tense up and finally you go over. And that's kind of imitating a male orgasm. And Female orgasm, can, women can do that too by tensing up, but they can also relax their bodies and keep feeling and just put their attention on the pleasure of each stroke. And that way, if you keep doing that, then you can keep the orgasm going. And another technique that we use is called peaking. So you don't just keep on rubbing, you take breaks. And by taking a break before the person wants to stop, or if you're doing it to yourself before you had enough, take a little break or a long break, whatever you want to do, and then start again, you can keep the orgasm going. That is so fascinating about taking a break. So, like, how long can the break be? It can be like a split second. I mean, or it can be for a couple of minutes and you talk in between. Or if you're doing it to yourself, you can take a sip of water and then go back to it. Um, there's, there's no like, there's no actually formula to say how long. Sure. It depends on what, what you're feeling. Usually I, I take a, very, a short break and like just change the stroke or take my finger off for, for a second and then put it back on again. And then the person, if you do it at the right timing, and the person knows that you're attentive and knows that you're noticing where they're at and they are ready to take a break, and if you can do that at the right time, then when you start again, they'll be with you. You'll, you'll keep their attention. If you keep on rubbing, you'll lose their attention sooner or later. Right. It sounds similar to mindfulness practices. And it's interesting to see how, how different it is than the image that many people have about like, you know, we're going to start like in a few seconds and I, hopefully we'll be done in 10 minutes and we're off to the next thing. So it's interesting to hear the differences between different approaches. Right. It is kind of like a mindfulness or a meditation, but it's a pussy meditation or a genital meditation. Right. <laughs> and it, so um, is the, as far as the extended massive orgasm that you were talking about, is it achievable by both men and women or just something more specifically for women? Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's for everybody, really. I mean, men can learn to come like, we say it's coming like a person. Right. And... Um, well, I got, you know, it's the same technique. The only thing is with men that they have the ejaculatory response. And if you get over to some certain point, then they go into kind of a, 
and women can do, the, do this too, but it, for men it seems more even kind of more of an obstacle. So you have to get kind of get close to ejaculation, but you don't want to go too far because then then it'll go over and, and you won't want to be touched anymore. Right, then you'll be at refractory kind of period. Yeah, makes sense. So that men can have peaks and keep keep the orga- orgasm going. I mean, you said like 10 minutes. Well, in 10 minutes, you can have a lot of orgasm because with our techniques, you learn to start having the orgasm with or before the first stroke. I mean, you can just put your attention on your genitals like right now and feel them, especially if you're a woman. Men have a little trouble doing that exercise. But if a, a woman just puts her attention on her genitals and doesn't think about you know, all the problems or all her things she has to do or, or things she hasn't done and puts her attention just on her genitals and just closes her eyes or even leaves them open and just feels, she can start having an orgasm, having contractions and getting wet down there and, and um, feeling pleasure. And then when you add the touch to that, it expands, expands the orgasm to a higher level and you can keep it going higher and higher. And the more you s- practice the techniques, the better you get at it because some of these nerve pathways you know, haven't been used and they're there, but they have to be strengthened and you strengthen it by practicing. Fascinating. And while you were talking about that, I was thinking about how some women are able to experience multiple orgasms and some are not being able to barely having an orgasm. As far as like experiencing multiple orgasms, is it possible for every woman or is it just a capability that some women have? See, multiple orgasms is kind of like where you're doing like the Wright brothers a whole number of times. So you're, you're having the crotch sneeze, as we call it, and then you stop and then you have another crotch sneeze. All this is great. We're not saying it's a bad thing. It's, it's something that people shouldn't give up or anything, but it's, it's an extended orgasm. Actually, you're feeling from before the first touch to when you're coming down, you're, you're having the orgasm. Interesting. And you said one thing that you were talking about, I think it was very important that you were talking about how uh, women's orgasm are because of like most of orgasm clitoral stimulation, which is so different than the concept that many women kind of think if they don't have vaginal orgasm, there's something wrong with them. That's fascinating. Yeah, that you said that women's orgasm mostly are clitoral. Yeah, all, all female orgasm is clitorally based. The vagina doesn't have really any sensory or pleasure nerve endings. It has hot and cold nerve endings, I believe. And the area around there, I mean, the labia are very sensitive. You know, the introitus, which is the opening to the vagina, is sensitive. And the clitoris is the most sensitive part with the most nerve endings. So a woman can have an orgasm with intercourse, but it's not because the vaginal walls are, are actually doing the pleasure receiving. It's everything else that's adding to it. And, and I think they, I mean, Masses and Johnson they did, and Kinsey, they did, they did studies where they found they like 20 to 30% I've heard of women have orgasms with intercourse. Most women do not, or at least most women do not have it every time. But there are ways to increase your likelihood of having orgasms with intercourse if you learn and um, you learn how to pleasure your clitoris and 
your pussy and your whole body and not just, you know, s- stick the penis in and expect to, like a guy can stick his penis in and rub up and, you know, go do the old in and out and you'll have an orgasm. A woman also needs, he has to be um, erect in order to enter a woman and a woman doesn't have to be erect to receive a man, but in order to receive pleasure, she also has to be engorged. So it has to be, she has to be touched. That's why they talk about foreplay first, but most people don't do foreplay very well anyhow. And we don't call it foreplay, we just call it play. I love that. Yeah, I love that you're calling it play because it's just like foreplay, kind of like making it, labeling in a way that's a great thing coming, but I think we're calling it play just a beautiful reframing. And I, and it's very interesting that you're talking about that it's not about like penetration that causes the orgasm. It's important. All other aspects and elements are important. And it's interesting that I know in uh, one of your books, you were talking about the importance of masturbation and knowing your own body, because I feel that's another challenge that some women, they haven't explored their own sexuality and uh, they haven't masturbated. And it's just like they, they puts lots of expectation on their partner to be able to know their body better, better than, than the way that they know their bodies. Right. Yeah, um, we definitely are proponents of self-pleasuring and masturbation. And once you know your own body, then you can communicate that to your partner, if you like your partner. <laughs> True. So is there any way that the partner can, we can train our partners to become better lovers? Oh, sure. First, learn your own body so you know what you like and what you don't like and what feels best and experiment doing that. And then you can experiment with your partner. And the best way of training your partner is with lots of approval. So approve of anything you like that they're doing and let them know in, in English. Moaning is good, but English or whatever language you speak <laughs> right. is um, even better because you're communicating. I mean, sex is just a subset of communication. So the better you can communicate with sex, the better the better the sex will be, or better the sensuality will be. And another exercise in self-pleasuring is what we call connections. Have you, have you heard about that? No, I haven't. I'm curious about it. Well, pretty much our, our, our nervous system is pretty much connected all over. And a lot of the connections have kind of atrophied and not being used. So you can re-stimulate these connections by practicing masturbation and then with one hand and then adding on a secondary area with your other hand. So let's say your facial lips, which are very, you know, very sensitive. Right. Most people. You take a little lube and you rub, you get yourself going really well. It's for men or women. You can be rubbing your penis or you can rubbing your clitoral area or your genitals. And you're doing a certain specific stroke, let's say up and down, up and down. And then with your secondary hand on your lips, put a little bit of lubricant there too because your lips are also erectile tissue. And rub the same way, the same speed, and the same way as you're doing your genitals. And then you rub them both together like that for a while. And then you take your hand off, let's say, off your lips. And keep it close by and keep rubbing your primary area. You may feel a little echo in your lips as you're doing that. And then you put your finger back and you rub both areas together again. 
and then you take your fi- your hand or your finger off your genital and just keep rubbing your facial lips, your facial lip, let's say your lower lip. And you may feel an echo in your genitals. And then you put your hand back on your genitals and you rub them both together. So you can do that off, back and forth, back and forth like that. And if you do practice that, it may not be the first time you do it, but if you practice that a number of times, you will strengthen that connection so that your lips become really turn you on. Like you, when you kiss somebody or when you rub your own lips, you can really get your body going, feel it in your genitals. I love that. I never heard about it, but it absolutely makes sense. And, and then the more parts of your body you can connect, and when you can have this whole body orgasm, it won't be just fill it in your genitals, you'll fill it all over your body. Yeah, thank you for that training and for that information. Because again, it's just interesting that how for many of my clients, at least I know that they, they don't, they say that I don't feel anything unless my partner kind of stimulating my genital, not even the other eroticized areas like breasts and stuff. So I think it's just interesting that kind of like how we can awaken things even when we're uh, doing like self-pleasuring. Yeah, I mean, we know, we know a lot of clients, you know, they, they learn to stimulate their nipples and they, they, really, they really get, they don't need to be touched on the genitals anymore. They can just rub their own nipples, you know. Keep, they can keep their pants on and still get off. <laughs> That's interesting. And, you know, it seems like you, you know a lot about pleasure and how you're sharing with us how our bodies are capable of receiving pleasure in various ways. I often see, at least with the clients that I see in my private practice, that there are many of women have experiencing barriers and they don't experience pleasure around any of the like any sexual intercourse or at times around they're not able to achieve orgasm. So what do you think are some of the barriers that cause some women to have some challenges around pleasure and orgasm? Well, there's a number of things. Probably the number one thing is anger they're pissed off they're pissed off at guys and anger and turn on are kind of enemies that you can't have one with you know one if you're having the other so if you're having pleasure you're not going to be angry but if you're having anger you're not going to have pleasure so a lot of women are pissed off at guys in general you know because the me too movement just for example (laughs) (laughs) right right and and then I, i assume a lot of women have had negative experiences in the past you know, either being molested by an uncle or a brother or some guy who abused them in some way or other, and they t- just want to turn their bodies off. They don't want to feel the pleasure. They they rather not confront that area because some bad memories there. So they can go to they can go to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist for that, or you know, or, or therapy, or they can just just make a decision to start. Feeling pleasure, and I guess it depends how strong this this barrier is. You know, will dictate you know what, what the best action is for that person. Or well, they can do both. Right, and I, I agree with you. I feel like there are so many kind of like negative experiences that many women had or have around unwanted sexual advances that happened in the past, or part of it like negative cultural messages around sexuality, which kind of like they carry it when they're in bedroom with someone that they want to be sexual. And it's not like that easy to just turn it off. Right. And you can also feel like when we're to- even talking about things now, you can feel the energy go down when we're talking about this heavy topic, you know, and this negative thing. 
And when you're talking about orgasm, if you can feel the energy go up. So you can actually feel the energy of your partners despite what they're saying and how, how you're relating to them and kind of use words to direct their, their pleasure. Fascinating. Any other barriers that you notice with women? Well, I, I wrote a book called Orgasm Matters, and I wrote a whole section of different resistances that people have or a woman might have. So, I mean, some women will say, well, they only want to do it if they're married or, you know, they only want to do it if, if it's love. They only want to do it if the guy looks a certain way. There's all kinds of psychological reasons for people to not turn on. but. They have to do it deliberately. They have to, I don't know if it's deliberate. They have to actually deliberately turn on. Turn on is actually the natural state. It's all these other influences that are, I think, I don't know, unnatural, but they kind of stop a person from being in the natural state. They, they put blinders on a person. So, so a person has to say, okay, I'm going to feel pleasure now. My priority is pleasure. And then make time for it. Right, right. So kind of like putting, you're absolutely right, like putting a pleasure and receiving and uh, having intimacy as a priority because I absolutely see that. Like at the initial state, it's more like when we people meet someone, it's easier to be excited and turn on and kind of like be uh, more interested in sex. But what I noticed with the longer term couples, unless they put it under priority and part of their schedule they just the connection get lost or like you know the intimacy they lot they lose that like sexual spark which can be very frustrating yes you have to be deliberate about it the more deliberate and like you said certain you know make a date for a certain time where you're gonna not have to take care of the kids or you're not gonna you're not, not gonna have to do work yet we just have said time for pleasure. It doesn't have to be that long. It could be a few minutes or half an hour. You can get a lot of pleasure in a short time. Then the, the more deliberate you are about setting up times, then the default pleasure will kick in too. Now, with Vera and I, we, we, we take walks around town and we, and we have like certain spots where we'll kiss. Or we'll, if we're in an elevator by ourselves, we go to Nordstrom's, there's like two flights of the elevator to go. So we go in the elevator and nobody else is in there. And I, you know, I grab Vera and I get close to her and slowly approach her lips. And maybe one floor, we're kissing fully on each other's lips. And I could, because we had these connections, we're both having like this orgasm. And we, I'm getting all turned on by her and she's getting all turned on. And we, the doors open and we're like, refresh people. <laughs> right, right. It's a mini connection that you can have with your partner. And I love that you guys are mindful of this. And again, because it seems like you've been teaching and practicing this for years, but it's important to kind of incorporate it, as you said, in your daily life. So if you want to stay connected. You got, what is he walking the talk. You got to walk the talk. Otherwise, it's not real. And we only teach things that we do ourselves. That's very important and hard. <laughs> I, I hear you on that. And I feel as you were talking about anger and resentment, it's just as you're talking about, it was like as you were talking about it, it was very challenging part when you are angry at someone to be intimate. Because at times I know some of my clients, they feel like, you know, their parents or their partner are not paying attention to them. And then 
they build this anger and resentment and it just carries away everywhere. But if you take time to connect and reconnect, you're going to tune into what's going on with your partner and you're kind of aware of their states, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important. So based on your kind of training experiences and workshops that you had, what are some of the aspects you think that need to be present when someone would like to receive maximum pleasure? What the person has to do, they, all they have to do is, is want it, know that they can have all kinds of pleasure and get relaxed as they can. We say if you don't want to be totally relaxed, then you'll be like asleep or dead. <laughs> True. You know, so a little tenseness is okay. And one technique that I use that seems pretty effective is sometimes a woman will want to tense up. But in order for her to get the most pleasure, she has to surrender to her pleasure. In order to surrender to her pleasure, she has to surrender to, she has to, surrender to the guy who's doing it to her. So she's really surrendering to her own pleasure. But if she's, like, if she's mad at the guy, then she's not going to surrender to him. And he, what, what the guy's doing, or the, you know, it depends on if the woman's doing it to the guy, it's the same thing. The person wants to take control of the other person's orgasm. You have to put your attention on the person, and both people are putting attention on one orgasm at a, at a time who's ever being done. So we, we kind of split up the um, roles. So you have like a doer or a giver, and you have a receiver, or we call it an effect, cause and effect. And the person who's giving the pleasure touches the person who's receiving the pleasure. Um, the way they do it is to feel pleasure themselves. They're doing it for their own pleasures. They're doing it because it feels good to their hands. Or if they're using oral sex, it feels good to their mouth. Okay? Right. Instead of kind of focusing on only the partner. So it's just, there's a, yeah. I mean, you, you, tension's on your partner, but you're feeling the pleasure from touching your partner. So there's no always easy because now you owe me because I gave you pleasure. Now you have to give me pleasure. Both people are getting pleasure, but it's one person's orgasm that the attention is on. But if your attention is on their orgasm, you can have their orgasm with them. Right, right. And it's just such a beautiful way of putting it instead of, as you were talking about, instead of kind of thinking now, uh, it's my turn to get pleasure, kind of being uh, reframing it in a way that we continuously receiving pleasure, even when you are providing stimulation to your partner. So, so to continue, I guess, on your question, so the person wants to be relaxed as much as they can and to acknowledge the pleasure they're receiving. Like I, I was saying in words, is really, or it's really good to say, oh, that feels good. Keep doing that. Oh, that feels so good. And when they're doing that, they're, we call that uh, acknowledging. And it's like when you're eating food, if you don't swallow the food, you can't keep eating. It be like a log jam in your mouth. And what acknowledging does is like swallowing the pleasure. So you allowed more pleasure. But if you're not acknowledging the pleasure, then you're not swallowing it, and it'll be more difficult to receive more and to continue receiving. And it also benefits the partner because when a partner is touching you, it's really great to get feedback that they're doing a good job, and then they'll want to continue doing it. But if like the person is silent and not saying anything or not feeling very much, and you start the person who's doing it starts wondering. They, they like this, you know, and they start going into their own head and both people kind of go into their heads and nobody's really present anymore. So not by acknowledging you're staying present, it helps you stay present. 
And for some people, talking while ha having pleasure is something they're not used to, so it may take a little while to adjust to that, but it's definitely beneficial in the long run. Right, and I think one other thing that was interesting that you were talking about wanting to surrender to your partner, because I feel if if there, you have a challenge with showing your vulnerability, that's going to be a challenging thing to do. Yeah, you really surrender to your pleasure, but the partner is part of that pleasure, you know. If the, the most pleasure is had if you're if you're like at the effect of the receiving position only, but it's also the most vulnerable place because you know here you are you know, so people are kind of scared to put themselves in this vulnerability and to surrender you know and get, let the person do what they want to you and you know it, what's gonna you know this orgasm make make you like have all kinds of fears about that so none of these fears are really true it's just resistances. That people have, and the more they can surrender, the resistances will just go away. Right, right, and I think I love that you're emphasizing the kind of verbal communication. I think it's wonderful if you're moaning or nodding and everything else, but I think it's if you're providing verbal feedback, that can be a game changer as far as like knowing, letting your partner know what you specifically like. Yeah, I mean, we have a beginning of I guess our first book, Extended Massive Orgasm, you know, we used to describe the training cycle where you're telling a person, it's like a three-step cycle where you're first approving of them, you know, giving some acknowledgement. So it's step one. And then step two will be asking for something different or if you want something different. So saying, would you rub a little lighter? And then the person rubs a little lighter. It still may not be light enough, but you have to approve of the effort made. And, you have to, and that's step three. So step one is approval. Step two is the asking for something. And step three is approval again. And then you don't go to step two. You go back to step one. And again, start again with something. Wow, this feels really good. You're really good at this. I really like this. And this is fun. And say, okay, would you rub me a little lighter? And so you keep doing it. You keep asking for that. And you keep acknowledging that until you get it exactly the way you like it. And by self-pleasuring, you'll know what you like. Or you can experiment with your partner and, and try different things, too. So let's try, uh, you know, your thumb, whatever. Right. And I, I just, like, I, I love that you're saying that, repeating the, the from step one versus on moving just to giving, like, critical, constructive feedback part. I think that's important. And I know in your book that I was reading, there was multiple chapters and kind of, like, good information about it. So... If our listeners want to kind of understand that and read more about that, I think that your books would be a wonder. Your book would be a wonderful resource for that. So I noticed we are toward the end of our time, and I want our listeners would be to be able to kind of get a hold of you uh, to watch their uh, you guys' video if they're interested. So what would be the best way of getting in contact with you and finding your content? I was just thinking when you pick somebody. You know, you can say, okay, this is the last peak. And you can, and then they'll like put their attention even more on their genitals and that you can take them even higher. And you can do that more than once. So you can say, okay, this is the last peak. You know, and, and, and they, you stimulate them and they did really good. So, oh, you did so good. I'm going to give you one more peak like that. So you say, this is the end. This is the time is up. So they're putting their attention now. Get that last grasp of information. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Before we go away. So we're going away soon. So this is our last time I'm going to say something to you. Yeah, so to reach me, I guess the best way, well, 
call me Steve Bedansky at gmail.com. You can email me directly. Or we have a website, extendedmassiveorgasm.com, where you can buy our video or see which books we have available on Amazon. Or we do phone sessions. We do all kinds of stuff. Oh, you can ask me, you know, and um, I guess those are the only ways to, I'm not going to take phone calls unless they email me first. Sure, sure. And I make sure that I leave the, all the great information about your website and email in the show notes so our listeners would be, they would be able to find it if they're interested. And again, thank you so much for your time and being generous with all this great information you're providing us. I also have orgasmmatters.com is linked to extended massive organs. This, Two names of two, two books, my first book and my last book. So Orgasm Matters is, you know, if you want to learn more and you've read Extended Massive Orgasm, that's a good book to pick up. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Thank you for asking such great questions and being here with me. Thank you. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Steve Bodansky. If you want to learn more about the exercises and any of the topic that he mentioned during our interview, uh, you can go to his website and his no numerous publications. I think he and his wife published 10 books and all of them are full of great content. So I encourage you to check them out. And I love when he was talking about the exercise of how uh, you can touch your lips or any area while you're touching your genital and I'm going to try it and I hope you guys give it a shot. Also, if you have been listening to this podcast, you know that in the during the month of February, I have been introducing other podcasts by my fellow psychologists, therapists, and this week we're going to talk about one of my favorite podcasts, which is called Emotions in Harmony by Dr. Carmen Roman. Uh, she was our guest a few months ago. She talked about celibacy and uh, she talked about the, how she trained priests to examine if they're ready to commit this to this lifestyle. So I leave a link to her podcast in the show notes and also to the link that we have, we had her on, on our podcast. And on her podcast, Emotions and Harmony, she talks about psychology of well-being and different things related to mental health challenges. So if you want to learn more about her podcast, you can find her at emotionsharmony.com. All right, as always, I appreciate if you guys send me an email, or record your voice on the website, and let me know what you want to learn more about. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.